Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Ace Vaughn Johnson from LA Guns and the Uncovered Fashion Football Cat. You're listening to the Hook Rock, the ultimate rock community podcast. The place I come to listen to rock and roll talk. Hey everybody, what's going on? It is Jay Scott. Welcome back to another episode of the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe, staying healthy. Hope you're staying cool. It is hot all over the place. I just saw, I think it was Death Valley yesterday. It was up to like 114 degrees. Here in Chicago, it's hot and muggy and uh, summer is upon us in like another week, which is great news for everybody. Everybody's out and about. Everybody's trying to get back to normal, which is great. Once again, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Check out my podcast, all the new episodes, all the old episodes, as well as other podcasts such as Carmen Apiece, Vinny Abbasi have their own show, Mistress Carrie out in Boston, Shout Out Loudcast, Cobras and Fire, Martin Popoff, you name it. They're on the platform. It's a great family to be a part of. Hope you check those out. And like I said, all the old and new episodes of The Hook Rocks. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, and hope you enjoy. Write us a review if you want. Always great to hear feedback from my listeners. like to welcome in our next guest, and it is a big treat for me because, as you know, by a lot of my Twitter posts over the last few years, Blackberry Smoke is one of my favorite bands. It's one of my favorite live bands to see, and I'd like to welcome in Lead singer, guitar player, Charlie Starr. What's going on, Charlie? How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, glad to have you on the show. Glad to learn more about you today. I have to tell you, my, my Blackberry Smoke story began a few years ago. I was a casual fan, 
And I decided to take my son, who was 13 at the time, to see you guys with Ida May up in Waukegan, Illinois. It was an acoustic set. And I was just blown away. It sounded perfect. It was just amazing. Ended up going to see you guys out in Rockford two nights later when Rick Nielsen joined you guys on stage. Then ended up going to see you guys with Tedeschi Trucks Band in the summer out in Aurora that same year. And then I saw you with the record company at the House of Blues. So I love you guys. I love seeing you guys. You guys are one of my favorite bands. Thanks again for doing this. Well, thank you to, for having me, and thanks for coming to the shows. I had no idea. No, it's uh, it's I always enjoy seeing you guys. I can't wait to see you guys. I think you guys are coming to the Aragon Ballroom here in, I want to say, August or July. But I do okay. plan on seeing that, so I can't wait to, to check you guys out. Fantastic. We always start the same way every time we have a new first-time guest, and that is the essence of the podcast. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? It was the Stones. It was uh, probably Honky Tonk Women. Well, that's a great start. I mean, where did it go from there? I mean, you got introduced to the Stones. They hooked you on rock and roll. When did it become something that you wanted to perform and wanted to be an artist? Well, it's a little complicated. My my parents divorced when I was probably two years old. Don't remember that. But so I split time between them and my dad is a bluegrass guy. He plays guitar and sings as a hobby, always has. So as a, as far back as I can remember, he was always playing the guitar and singing these old string band songs, you know, old folk songs. Um, he was a more a bluegrass, you know, traditional country fan and, and more specifically bluegrass than even country. He was uh, bluegrass as a, um, it's like jazz. People are really like, I only like this, you know? And, uh, and also bluegrass has a, has a, um, a large, uh, religious element, uh, sort of flowing through it. There's a lot of gospel songs included. So he, he's into that. So not into rock and roll at all. Never. Um, so I would spend time with him and I, I wanted to play the guitar because he did and would sing me these songs, you know, like a troubadour. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. But then I would go home to my mom, and she liked the uh, the Stones and Bob Dylan, and uh, and I would be like, oh. And then one day it just kind of clicked for me when I was probably about eleven years old. I'd been playing guitar a few years, and I really heard Honky Tonk Women, and was like, wait a minute, this is the same thing that my dad's doing. It just got drums and really loud guitars, but they're singing the same way. It's the same kind of inflection and the same harmony. It's very country, you know. Um, and then uh, I so I was like, can I borrow this tape? I think it was Hot Rocks, The Stones, you know, best of at that point. And Midnight Rambler and Brown Sugar. I just couldn't get enough. I just and so that turned into Exile on Main Street and Sticky Fingers. And uh, at the same time, don't get me wrong, I was hearing the radio, and so I was hearing Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers and Van Halen and Aerosmith. And my sister was into bands like Def Leppard and Rat and. Uh, so there was all that swirling around, but the band that hit me the hardest was the Stones. It's interesting that you say that because on this new album, you hear Georgia. There are so many elements of Exile and Mainstream and Sticky Fingers, as well as others, but those really jump out, especially with you guys recording live and having the guitars really out front on this album. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that's because Dave Cobb, he, he produced the record, 
he loves those those records as well. And uh, I mean, that's the kind of thing you talk about, you know, when you're in the studio and eventually you're like, I wonder how they got the drum sounds on so-and-so album or, you know, uh, uh, I remember at one point playing a solo and we're mixing and uh, they've, you know, the solo was really loud. And I was like, whoa, are you going to have the solo that loud? He goes, of course I am. He goes, even think about the Beatles. Like when there are certain songs where George Harrison solos, you're like, oh, that's all I can hear. <laughs> and it's like, that's the point, you know, like uh, I, I just I love to dissect those kind of things. And so does Dave, you know, um, at one point we were, I forget which song, but I think we sped up a little bit, you know, which you're not supposed to do as far as the musical rules, but there are no rules in rock and roll. So I remember saying, did, did that get a little swift? You know, and he's like, listen to honky tonk women. Uh, it, it's, it's a different song by the end. <laughs> they're, they're going like five BPMs faster. As far as being an artist, when you were beginning your journey, you're both a singer and a guitar player. Who were your big influences on guitar, and who were your big big influences on on singing? Well, I loved all the uh, the southern bands so much. You know, Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers and the Marshall Tucker Band and Wet Willie. Um, ZZ Top. I love Billy Gibbons so much, but I was really into Led Zeppelin. Um, really into Jimmy Page. When I got older, um, I mean, obviously that music is really easy to love. It's so great. But when I got older, I really started to, my ears started to under, started to help my brain understand what an architect Jimmy Page is musically, as far as writing songs, writing music, and uh, you know, turning a, a riff, which you know anybody can sit down and get a guitar and play a riff, and it's like when you can turn that into a song that's when you're a songwriter, you know, and that's a, he, he was just such a great example of that. Um, so I would say that, um, there were just so many, it, it wasn't just one, you know, um, but Billy Gibbons and Jimmy Page, uh, those are two big ones. As far as writing music, do you write from personal experience or observation? Both, both, I would say a nice, a nice helping of both. And as far as songwriting goes, was there a moment, a song that grabbed you and said, hey, I want to do that. I want to be able to put my thoughts down or my observations down on paper and write a tune. I think it came later. Um, I was playing with guys that wrote songs and they wrote really good songs, I thought. And um, just watching that happen, you know, watching a guy uh, bring a, a brand new song into a rehearsal room. And I would think, oh, wow. OK, I want to do that. This album is fantastic. It's the follow-up to Find a Light in 2018, and which was a great album in itself. But this album, you know, the anticipation of you guys releasing something, obviously we had the pandemic last year, which delayed a lot of things. But to really get this record and hear the guitars out front and the way it was recorded was really special. Was there... Was this the plan all along, or was how was this decided to record this album? Well, it wasn't really the plan. Um, uh, you know, uh, n- not seeing a pandemic coming. <laughs> right. We we had planned to go into the studio in March, in early March, and um, obviously that got that got pushed back, and um, we wound up recording it in late May, early June of last year, 
And we were done in 10 days. We recorded and mixed it in 10 days and we were finished. It went to mastering. And so then the problem was, well, do we release it? Because we can't tour, you know? I mean, this is, that was everybody's problem. And a lot of people did release albums. Uh, and I'm glad we didn't. Um, I talked to a friend of mine who's in a band that did. And uh, he said, well, I guess now we'll make another one, <laughs> you know, like right now, since, you know, they released their record and didn't get to promote it really. Um, but I'm glad we waited. It was hard. You know, when you make a record, you want people to hear it. That's the point. And, uh, it was really hard to sit on it, but I'm glad we did. What's it like writing a record for you during a pandemic, during all the craziness that was 2020, like the election, like the protests, you know, all that stuff happening in one year, you know, when we years from now, when we look back on it in history, it's it's going to be the, the story will be amazing to be told of just everything that was going on, all the toxicity, all the all the issues, what was happening. Here, you guys find yourself recording an album, writing an album under this premise in this inside this bubble that you guys are, you know, in recording music. What was that like versus the other albums that you've done in the past? Well, at first, I thought that it wouldn't. Um, affect, you know, the subject matter of the songs, and it and it did uh, just a couple anyway, not all, but a couple. I think "All Rise Again" is basically about, you know, the lockdown experience, and I think you hear Georgia. The song did as well um, because it literally started as an idea from me seeing a guy from Georgia being interviewed on television and his accent, and that kind of just that was the the impetus of that idea just like, wow. Okay. Well, that made me laugh. You know, it made me smile rather. And I thought, I wonder what people, if people hear what he's saying or just how he says it, because he was talking about something really important. So that, that's where that idea, that was the, the, uh, the seed of that idea. And then later, you know, it just became, and this, that was pre-election too. So it didn't have anything to do with the election, but um, I just thought, well, that song wound up being about the fact that, Hey, the Southern people, we're not all ignorant racists, you know, um, no matter how people try and portray it. But, um, so I guess that that did rub off on the songs a little, but, at, but in another way, I think that writing songs during the lockdown experience, it was a good way to shut all that out. Like, okay, well, um, I'm feeling inspired by this book or my friend or whoever, you know, something that I've experienced and I can turn this off the world, you know? When we are going through something like that, you know, all the things that, you know, we're dealing with and seeing all the images that we're viewing on either our computers or television, we need to have an escape. We need to go somewhere and get away from it because if you, if you let it consume you, it just, it, it can, it can drive you crazy. Um, having the outlet you guys have making music, was there a sense of comfort, even though there were so many issues, you know, happening around you? Was there a sense of comfort when you guys got together and, and, and wrote and recorded this album that kind of was that escape for you? That was that bubble for you guys? It was it, completely. When we got into the studio, um, we were just shut off from the world and focusing on the task at hand. And we really could, you know, literally, you know, turn it off and uh, focus on, you know, making the best record we possibly could. and 
And then, you know, we would walk out of the doors when we'd finish for the day and then be hit by a barrage of negativity. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it was just an unprecedented time. And I I remember my manager said, if I hear that word one more damn time, (laughs) unprecedented. It's the truth, though, right? I mean, every week there was something that was unprecedented. Um, It's interesting that an album recorded during this time, when you guys do look back one day, that this is kind of like the diary entry for Blackberry Smoke when all that stuff was happening. Uh, that's yeah, a, that's it is. A, it's a really interesting thing for every band's you know history to kind of see what was in their head and what was going on at that time, because each album means something different to the band and to the artist. And this obviously encapsulated so much. The question I have when you're writing this, and, and we we have this thing called cancel culture, we have all these you know, worries about offending people. How do you navigate through that when you're writing an album during so many sensitive subjects and a sensitive period? Oh God, I never give that a second thought. I mean, it's, you can't, you know, I mean, if I worried about who would get, who would be offended by a specific word or phrase or who knows, you know, I just, I can't worry about that. Um, and that's two different things to me being, I was, I was not taught to hate people. Um, I, I had friends that were, it sucked for them. I could see it, you know, when I was in school, I'm like, wow, that's really, that's, that's tough, you know? Um, so I was very fortunate. I had, um, I had good parents, man. It was, I had a good childhood. It was really easy. Um, any trouble I got into was my fault, <laughs> you know? Um, but so, so what I'm saying is it's not hard to be a good person to, to, to humanity, you know? Um, but then to, to turn around and think, okay, uh, exactly what you just said, the whole cancel culture idea and what's off limits and what's not, and what is, what is, um, borderline offensive to certain, I just am like, that's too much. That's too much information. I can't keep up with that. You know, I, I had a friend that went to buy a salad a couple of weeks ago at a deli. And he said he got, he paid for it and got his change. And the fellow handed him his salad and he said, thanks man. And the guy went, don't call me man, educate yourself. And he said, thank you. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I just thought that, at some point, you know, this getting offended from by people who obviously are not trying to offend you. They're not saying anything that's blatantly offensive to you. So um, I don't know. This is just my opinion. Some parts of me wants to say, hey, man, relax. You know, come on. We're all humans scrambling around on this orb. Let's try and do the best that we can. Um, now I forgot what your question was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just, yeah. I, I have a, here's another example there's a song on the record called Hey Delilah and the lyrics are really, um, it's, it's the story of Samson, Delilah and the Bible, uh, Samson and Delilah, uh, from the Bible. And it's, uh, it's tongue in cheek. It basically Delilah in the song, um, probably has a cell phone and drugs and the guy is in love with her. And it's all, it's like, uh, I'm not sure if it's even love. It may be lust, but it's, uh, it's, you know, a play on that story. And in the story, of course, you know, in the Bible, Delilah 
helps the Philistines capture Samson. She cuts his hair off. He finally tells her, "They the bad guys want to know what makes him so strong. Why can't we kill him? And it, she is tasked with finding out what the secret is. But he's in love with her. He's he's infatuated with her because she's the she's the Jezebel, you know. But he finally tells her, "It's my hair. Cut my hair off, and I lose all my power." So they cut it off, and then they they put him in chains, you know, and they basically have him up on display, chained up to the pillars of this building while they party. But they're like, look at our, look what we did. We captured the mighty Samson. So in the song, you know, it says metaphorically, I'm all bound up in your shackles and chains and I ain't even trying to get free. This is Samson speaking to Delilah. And I had a person on social media said, whoa, shackles and chains, Charlie, yikes. And I said, I responded, and I normally wouldn't, but I said, you need to go read the Bible. That has nothing to do with with race. Stop it. Don't make this something that it's not, you know. Um, anyway, that was my only response to that type of cancel culture idea. <laughs> no, it is It is definitely a, a, a sensitive time, an interesting time, because you don't know what's going to offend people. It's like people are ready to be offended. You know, it's like they walk yeah. out of the house and like, what can I be offended by today? And and that's no way to live. That's no way to have, you know, enjoyment in life. And a lot of these things that people get offended by, my response is always, there are way more important things to worry about. You know, there Most are, definitely, you know, there, there, this Most is, definitely. this is not going to matter when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're still going to wake up and the, and the things that really matter are still going to be there. Right. So, and I mean, it could really, to me, it comes down to really right and wrong. There's right and there's wrong. And it's really not hard to discern which one, which is right and which is wrong. It really is not. We're all, for adult human beings, it really is not hard. And you know it, you know, people know, like, is this wrong? Yep, it's wrong. I shouldn't do this. And then, you know, there's that little voice that we all have. It's called a conscience and it tells us. And if, you know, but if you feel in your heart truly, hey, this is, this is right. This is the right thing to do. Do it. And don't worry about whether or not somebody else will be offended. You know, exactly. I, I post a lot on my Twitter feed and, you know, if I post about Bon Jovi, I get people going, oh, he's a liberal. If I post about Ted Nugent, oh, he's a conservative. Of it's, course. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, who cares? The, the music is not Democrat. It's not Republican. It's rock music. So instead, right. of, instead of sucking the joy out of something, enjoy what you've been enjoying for years, regardless of what their personal point of view is. It, that shouldn't matter. It doesn't. It, it, I mean, it, unfortunately, it does to some people. But I really, the election was, the, I mean, the most polarizing event that I can remember in 46 years of life. Um, and I saw a lot of my friends on social media turn into these people that I didn't know. I didn't know that's who they were. I was like, wait a minute. Okay. Hey, I don't know. And I don't want to go down that road. It's just, it was so crazy. I'm like, I can't believe uh, this is turning people into monsters. Yeah. Politics and social media is turning my friends into monsters, both sides, you know? As far as the album goes, the decision to record this live, one of the things that I've always noticed about when I do see you guys in concert is how electric it is in how the the tone of the guitars not saying it's lost on previous albums but you really capture that on this album 
which was really interesting for me to hear that on a recording, a, a studio recording for you guys. Was was that what you guys wanted to accomplish? Was that the goal going into it? I don't know if it was going into it. I think that you never know until you, until it starts to to go down. You know, to go to 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 go to tape, quote or so to speak, rather. Um, when you hear the room, you know, when you when you hear the 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 racket that you're making together. Um, it's all about the feel. Um, there's no way to know, you know, until you actually start to do it. And I think right off the bat, that's what we were hearing. That's what Dave was hearing. Like, Oh, this is good. You know, this is, let's, uh, let's really let it be ragged and raw. You know, there's no, you know, recording digital in the digital, digital age. Um, Lots of people use a click track and it keeps you in time and it's a grid that you work with, you know, digitally. And he doesn't do any of that, which is great. It's like, no, we're humans making music. Let's make music. I also noticed, too, along with the guitars, the drums and bass are just thumping on this album. I mean, it really yeah. just I mean, you can hear it. I mean, it's really sonically. I always love it when I hear an album and immediately the sound of the album is just so pleasing and it, it really is. I mean, the arrangements, the, you know, how everything kind of just melts together. It's, it's in a way an almost perfect album. Oh, thank you. I, I love it. I'm looking back on it. I wish, I wish that it had taken longer. <laughs> it was, it was over so quickly. Um, and it was so enjoyable and comfortable. My drummer kept saying that he's, he, um, he said, this is the most comfortable I've ever been making a record. You know, there are so many things that can affect your, uh, how comfortable you feel, you know, your level of comfort, whether it's good headphones or a good room or a good chair or the people you're with. Or, um, and it was, it was, we, we, we were all comfortable. You know, there can be, when you're making a record, there can be moments of gritted teeth, especially with a band, because you, especially a band that's been together 20 years. Um, cause you're a team. It's not, there's not one thing that can make it all happen. The team, you know, it's like a basketball team. And, uh, there was, there was not a single gritted tooth. <laughs> Everybody was grinning the whole time. Being a band that tours a lot, that is almost constantly on the road, having to take a step back and play less shows and have moments where you're not doing a lot did that factor in in recording this live to kind of give you that feel of what maybe you guys had been missing or just kind of have that moment where, hey, you know, we're not doing a lot of shows this year. Let's do something like this. Maybe so. That could be it. Um, that could have uh, added to some of the some of the feel of the record. It could be. Um, we definitely weren't tired. <laughs> you know, we had all been at home for a long time, so everybody was plenty rested up um but yeah it lets the rock and roll lets the kid out in you anyway especially when you turn a loud get turn you know a guitar amplifier up um i was reading the other day where um david gilmore of pink floyd said when you've been playing the electric guitar on stage so loud that if you fell against it, it the sound would hold you up that's a hard drug to kick <laughs> and that's it's true about making rock and roll music, loud amps and drums and, you know, jumping around and singing and different than if we were like in the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, you know, if we were playing pretty music that was quiet and, and polite, but it's not, 
it's uh, rock and roll is it's it really is a release especially touring and now you guys are back on the road it's you know different states have still have different restrictions although most of them are opening up completely when you're planning a tour for this album how was that because you had to consider all those things going into it um well it, i mean it's just all it, it seems like it's uh it changes daily you know plans we have to be everybody has to be prepared like, Oh, nope, can't do that. Oh, well, this is different. Now we're going to do this. You know, um, this has obviously changed the game. Um, on so many levels, I, I, the other day I felt really fortunate. I was talking to a friend who's in a band that sells, uh, sells out arenas, you know? And, uh, he said, Oh, well, we won't be able to play shows for another, you know, maybe next year. And I said, well, you shouldn't sell so many damn tickets. <laughs> then you could be like us and you could, you could, you know, go play some shows. But, um, so I've seen people, you know, also, um, that the, sh- the sh- shows for our summer tour has been, um, has been rescheduled pretty much, you know, it's, we will go on the spirit of the South tour starting in late July and all the shows didn't make it. And that would be, because some of the venues and promoters in certain cities just couldn't put that show on. And uh, I see people saying, our show is canceled. Why? You know, I said, well, it can't all happen. You know, there, there are, uh, there are a lot of moving parts and I would not want to be an agent uh, this year. That's a, a tough job. Absolutely. You guys have always made it a point to bring up and coming bands on the road with you. I saw you guys with Ida May, saw you guys with the the record company. You guys have toured with Tyler Bryant, other people as well. What is the the idea every time you tour about bringing younger bands on the road with you? Well, um, that's what happened to us. You know, um, that's the way I kind of look at it. We had, there were bands that were really good to us. Um, uh, Zach Brown was a great friend, great um, headliner that took us out, ZZ Top, Leonard Skinner, uh, Cross Canadian Ragweed years ago, uh, the band Jackal from Atlanta. They were the first band we ever toured with, and um, they brought us along and taught us how to tour back then, you know? And um, it's just, I think it's important, you know, to uh, to be that kind of band. It is, because I think a lot of bands in your position rely on the promoter or rely on someone else to pick the band to go out on the road with them and yeah you know rock and roll has struggled with relevancy especially with connecting with the youth of today and that's because a lot of the younger bands don't get the exposure that they should and i i wish more bands would do what you guys do because I, it is important to the legacy of rock music to keep it going to pay it forward as you guys had it done for you well, thank you. Um, we have an ever-growing list of bands that we always want to play shows with. Um, and it's funny because our manager, you know, if we're putting together a tour or a cruise or all different things that we get ourselves involved in, he'll we'll hit the list, you know. And it's always changing because bands keep coming around. And some of the bands on the list wind up selling way more tickets than we do, and they get scratched off the list. <laughs> so they... <laughs> they wouldn't be an opener for us anymore. Um, but I, I, that's important. I think it's really important. The Atlanta music scene over the last decade has really been vibrant. 
And when you think about some of the new bands that are coming out and some of the artists that have come through, you know, you guys, I know there's Butch Walker and there's, there's uh, Tuck Smith and there's so many others that uh, I come across. What do you think the reason is for that? I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's anything tangible. It could be, you know, there are different theories. Bono uh, has, he has a theory he said great music comes from a river. That all, all these great bands are, are born in a town that's really close to a river. So maybe I'll go with that. Maybe the Chattahoochee River is the culprit. It could be because there's so much tremendous music out there. So you guys are hitting the road this summer. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's um, the Spirit of the South Tour, rescheduled for 2021 summer. It's us, uh, the Almond Betts Band, the Wild Feathers, and J-Mo, founding member of the Almond Brothers Band. We're going to have some uh, some other special guests in certain cities um, as well. That's the plan. Um, but we'll go, and it's like a little traveling festival. Each band will play a set, and then the final set of the night will be a huge jam. It's almost like you guys are like a like a kid in a candy store whenever you are touring and you invite guests up on you because you guys have done that. I, mean, I had the pleasure of seeing you guys with Rick Nielsen. I know he's played with you guys before. I think Dax also kind of played the drums on a track. That's a really neat experience for you guys. And, and you know, for your fans to av- obviously have legacy artists come on or new artists come on and play with you is a real treat. What's it like for you guys to, to do that and plan that? Well, it's fantastic. It's it's not, uh, you know, that night that you saw us when when Rick came and sat in, that was not planned at all. Um, I just am so proud to say that I'm Rick Nielsen's friend. That's crazy to think about. If you had told 11-year-old me that I would meet Rick Nielsen and have his phone number, yeah, I would tell you you were crazy. But uh, we hooked up that day and had lunch, and, and I told him we were playing an acoustic show. and Or he knew that, I guess, at the theater there. And, I said, well, you want to play a song with us? He said, yeah, I will. And uh, he did, and he played the solo. And it was just so happenstance. He, he, uh, we didn't rehearse or anything like that. He said, what guitar can I play? I said, here, play this old Gibson J45. And he said, who's playing the solo? I said, you are. He said, okay. <laughs> and he did it. And, uh, yeah, it's just it, it's, it's best when it's spontaneous like that, I think. And also your shows, too, are always different. You know, from night to night, from from each time I've seen you guys, it's always been a different show with a different set list, which is rare because a lot of bands lock in those songs and that's what they're going to play for this tour or this leg of the tour. And it keeps it fresh for not just you guys, because, you know, let's face it, as Don Henley, you know, once said to be a rock star, you got to have a high, high endurance of, of repetition or high tolerance of repetition going into you know each show how do you guys determine the set list well i keep i've been keeping uh a record of every set list every show we play for years um it's really easy to do thanks to a computer you know but um i it started years ago i would make sure that we didn't repeat a show in a city like okay well let's not play the same songs in the same order and you know that kind of thing that was years ago. And then that kind of grew into when we started to headline, you know, our own shows, it was like, okay, well, we don't want to play the same thing every night. I would get boring because we get people that are traveling to see multiple shows and they don't want to keep seeing the same thing. 
And so it just kind of came from that idea. Um, and it can be drastically different. There are a lot of songs that we kind of have to quote unquote play or people would be mad and they'd get mad. A lot of people do. Even now they'll say, well, and I, I often question, I'm like, do you not like any of the other songs? Are you so furious because we didn't do this one song, you know? Um, but I think that there are way more people who appreciate the fact that it gets changed than there are detractors, you know, but keeps it really interesting for the band. It keeps us on our toes. And uh, I'm pretty, I'm a procrastinator. So a lot of times the band won't get the set list till the afternoon and then they have to, we have to go sound check and uh, run through something that we might not have played in a year or so. <laughs> so sometimes I think the band are like, would you write those a little earlier in the day, please? Well, it's great for the fans because it reminds me of that time when I was younger. You and I are the same age. Like when you went to a show, you didn't know what to expect, right? And that would right. add to the anticipation. It would add to the synergy of the crowd with the band because you were just as curious as to what they were going to play as what the band was going to play. So, you know, yeah. to hear that and to go to four different shows in less than a year, just a little over a year, and hear four different set lists and four different sets and play, I love that because you guys have such a a big catalog, a huge catalog of music, of great music, that even if I did hear songs I wanted to play, there'd always be songs that, you know, were left off. I'm like, oh man, well maybe next time they'll play that. So it's 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 yeah. great for the fan to hear that and to see that. Well thank you very much. Charlie, it's been a blast. I do appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Everybody, that's Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke. Go see him on tour this summer and fall, coming to a theater, an auditorium near you. Uh, They're on tour, as Charlie just mentioned, across the States, and I think they're going to Canada, too, as well. Check out their new album, You Hear Georgia, a great, fantastic record, a collection of awesome songs. You will love it. I am Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Stay strong, stay safe, stay cool. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 